Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Katie does some other stuff on the side. <laughs> I see. I see. So you're going to start our episode on coaching by pointing out that you're licensed and... I am licensed. I am obligated to a regulatory body. I have jumped through a number of bureaucratic hoops to have the state of California tell the public that I'm at least minimally acceptably competent to not disrupt people's lives. I see. And I am also licensed, but the side work that I do, I'm not licensed in. I am a business coach, career coach, and in addition to being a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm getting the sense that you don't think that that's very cool. I need to be convinced that coaching is really an acceptable practice in the healing arts. Well, I think describing it as a practice in the healing arts isn't necessarily accurate. I think that coaching is about I mean, maybe it's the, maybe this is just semantics, but it seems like coaching is about taking specific steps to improve your life, not necessarily healing wounds. Like CBT or solution-oriented practices that are taking specific steps to move on with your life? We may get into semantics here, but I think for me, and maybe this is a little bit of a detour, but, but bear with me. When I was working in public mental health- As a therapist. They, as a therapist- and as a manager and a supervisor and a director and all of those things, I had staff who were working with me who were called case managers and family advocates and child and family specialists. And they worked with clients legally on coping skills. They would teach on coping skills, which would include some behavioral techniques that would allow for clients to make progress forward. Now, if there was an issue surrounding risk, if there was an issue that needed to be processed, the therapist came in. But we had folks who were working at the bachelor's level who were doing skills-based work. And that's where I really feel like coaches fit in. Okay. So in public mental health, then you're describing a situation where there's still oversight and there's still a regulatory body of the government that is looking at what's being done. They're looking at outcome measurements. They're ensuring that the practice that is being done meets a certain level of standards. Yes. And I get what you're saying. And I don't believe that coaching should be something that's just the Wild West. I agree with you on that part, but I don't think that means coaching is bad. So I'm looking at therapists who 
are licensed who have this coaching practice on the side that mm -hmm. you have somebody who's trained as a therapist, what they're doing looks like therapy, but it's not therapy. I disagree that it looks like therapy. And I, I think that there are some folks who are doing life coaching in addition to a therapy practice, and there can be some similarities that can be pretty gray. And so I see what you're saying there, but I think there's a lot of people who are doing coaching that is very, very different from the therapy that they do. So okay, walk me through this because okay. as I see out in the community, I see somebody who's a therapist and a sober coach or a therapist and a life coach who works on anxiety issues or a therapist who works as a life coach with eating disorder issues. To me, this is basically the same thing that they're just kind of picking and choosing which sessions that they're talking about feelings and which sessions that they're providing direction. Okay. So the differences that I see in the, and when I work with my clients who are setting up side businesses as coaches to expand their offerings, in therapy, there's a very specific relationship that's required, right? We have confidentiality. We can't claim our clients. We have areas that we delve into that are pretty intense, right? We, we process past traumas. We talk through, you know, kind of deep, dark secrets, that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying that coaches don't go there. I'm saying probably coaches shouldn't go there. But I think that there is this piece of coaching where you can be more hands-on a sober coach can go with you to places and provide in-the-moment coaching. It's more similar, I think, to behavioral coaches or people who are providing hands-on in-the-moment intervention. I think for folks who are life coaches surrounding anxiety, it becomes very directive, but there can be a different additional relationship that isn't tied back to the therapy that I think can actually be very helpful. And if it's not set up as a therapy relationship, if it's very clearly not a therapy relationship, if you're not delving into these deeper issues that require the safe space of therapy, but rather dealing with the symptoms in the moment, I think it can be effective for some clients. So for me, it's that piece of having a different tool belt that you put on where you do actually have oversight because you are a licensed therapist. So you know when, it's, when someone needs therapy versus the coaching on skills and practical tools and that kind of stuff, you can refer out if somebody actually needs therapy. And so I think in truth, somebody that is a therapist with a side business as a coach can actually be a really a boon to our community because somebody might enter into quote unquote, the healing arts using your words or into personal development using mine, but not be ready for therapy. And a therapist as a coach can say, hey, let me give you all the tools. And then finding that they're not using the tools, that they're struggling with some other things and realizing, you know what, therapy is better. Let me refer you to my colleague, Kurt, who is a licensed therapist <laughs> who can take care of it. So I think it is different, and I think that there are therapists and therapists slash coaches that navigate it better than others, but that's the big thing as far as life coaches. I think as far as people who are doing other types of coaching, sober coaching is actually pretty different. What I do as a coach is very different than I would do in therapy. When you're talking about career business coaching, it's very, very different than what I would accomplish in therapy. Are there stuff where we talk about mindset? Are there things that come up that you know I kind of step really close to the line of therapy because somebody's got a huge thing that's getting in their way of moving forward? Yes. But if, it's, if it crosses that line, I refer them to my colleagues for therapy. And I guess that I do kind of separate out the term coaching is such a broad term that it's really out of the athletic world, I guess, mm -hmm. is probably where it started. Okay. Business coaching, I can, I can readily see the difference between 
what a therapist does and what a business coach might do as far mm-hmm. as setting performance goals and a structured plan as far as how to get a business someplace. Yeah. I still struggle with when we're using therapy terms in the coaching realm to really get around, okay, if you're an anxiety coach or if you're an eating disorder coach, these are things where you're taking clinical terms, you're taking a clinical idea, and you're putting in practical steps that are largely part of a treatment plan anyway that a therapist is providing. I see that. I see that it becomes confusing to the consumer if we're using therapeutic terms to describe life coaching. Because in truth, that's something I worry about. And I I think I'm pretty strict. I actually have two completely separate businesses. I make sure that I have the conversation up front. This is not therapy. This is how this is different than therapy. And I still have business coaching clients who are like, I need a little therapy right now. And I'll say, hang on, let me put on my life coaching cap. <laughs> and if we need, if you need therapy, I'll let you know. But okay, if we need to address a personal issue before we ha- step back into your business, let's handle it. But I think you're right. I think that there is this piece of using clinical language to to explain what you're doing because you're a therapist and you, that's the language you use. And so sober coach, not clinical language. Anxiety coach, yes, but worry coach, I'm freaking out coach. Like what, what would be acceptable terms to describe somebody who is providing the kind of support that a friend would potentially provide that a very knowledgeable person who's had some study but isn't a therapist, what would be a good term for somebody that can provide a slightly lower tier of care or maybe a significantly lower tier of care than a therapist would? Like, what would be acceptable to you? I don't have a direct answer to that, but that's like me saying, well, I don't want to go to a doctor for high blood pressure. I'd rather go to a circulatory coach to work on not sweating going upstairs. Like, this is... (laughs) This I don't is, agree. I don't agree. I think it's, it's actually it's, it's a twisting <laughs> of semantics in order to justify what you're doing. Well, I think it's actually different. You actually gave me the perfect argument. So you have high blood pressure. Let's no, imagine no, that I you don't, do. Babe. Okay, but let's pretend you have high blood pressure. You can go to the doctor, but let's say you don't feel ready to go to the doctor, and instead you go to a nutrition coach who helps you eat better, so you start losing some weight. That you go to a personal trainer who is a coach that helps you exercise. You go to the to the people who have tools that you think will help you not have to go to the doctor. But the personal trainer is not saying, lower your high blood pressure with me. (laughs) Some of them are. Some of them are. (laughs) So I bring up the same argument against them, that what they're doing is, it's wrong. It's it's practicing without a therapist license. I I think that there are people who are practicing without a therapist license. I think there are people who are unethically marketing. I agree with you on those pieces, but I think people who are actually sticking to the letter of the law, which is separating out, making sure you're not doing therapy, are actually providing a great service that is a good entry-level service for somebody who isn't ready for therapy. I think it's it actually helps our profession. Now, I think therapists start getting angry because coaches actually are a little bit better at charging money for what they do than therapists are. So they get jealous and they're like, hey, these coaches are making money and I have you know, debt from my education. But just because they're better business people doesn't mean that they're not doing a good service. Well, and it's the bad ones who don't have any regulatory body. And correct me if mm-hmm. I'm wrong, but 
there's not like a certifying coaches board. You don't have to. Well, there are, there is one that's not required. The International Coaching Federation has a, a certification that a lot of people get. So, you know, there is a certain amount of consumer protection if people know to look for that. But I think a lot of therapists, I guess there's probably a mix, but like I didn't go through the ICF because I felt like I, got my education as a therapist and I got my life experience as a, as a person in business. And so I, I went more kind of what you're talking about, the unregulated pieces of coaching. And I said, I know that I have things to offer and I can coach and consult about these things. So I'm going to offer myself up instead of spending another huge chunk of money to get a certification from a body that's going to teach me how to do some of the stuff that I learned how to do as a therapist. Proving my point that this is stuff that you learned as a therapist, that if I'm your client under your coaching and you do something wrong that messes me up, there's nobody to complain to. I mean, all I'm left to do is, you know, Consumer affairs, (laughs) consumer affairs, better business bureau. I mean, there's a lot of businesses that there's nobody to complain to. There's no stopping you from just, okay, I'm going to close that coaching business of Katie Vernoy coaching dot LLC and opening up Katie Vernoy to greater coaching services dot (laughs) LLC. There's nothing that follows you in a regulatory way. There's no personal aspect of what you're providing as a service that really holds you accountable in your coaching aspects. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. We're all accountable for any services we provide, oh, whether we're therapists really or nice not. That's really nice to say, but <laughs> it's really such a wild, wild west area where, and I see people who can't get through grad school. who are like, I'm mm-hmm. just going to coach. Mm-hmm. Or I see people who don't want to go through the supervising and the pre-licensed hours in order to get licensed because, hey, I have a master's degree or I dropped out of college, I have a bachelor's degree and I can charge roughly the same amount and I don't have to worry about all the insurance stuff that I can do this stuff and there's no oversight to what they're doing and it cheapens all of the healing arts professions and there's no place to go to when they are messing up. I want to say yes, yes, but, or yes, and, because... There are people who mess up therapy for everybody. That there, there's bad therapists sure. who somehow make it through the life. Boards, and there's of licensing course. boards. And oftentimes there are people that keep sliding through the cracks because people aren't necessarily active in reporting these folks or doing that stuff. So I think 
because there are, yes, I understand the regulatory board thing is really bothering you. For me, I feel like it provides me freedom to do a different type of service where I can have more freedom of movement while still sticking to the ethical codes of my other profession and also making sure that I'm doing good business practices because there is the free market, there is the Better Business Bureau, there are, there are laws. And so if you're messing any of those things up, there are still some fallbacks. It's just, I don't necessarily feel like every single thing I should do is overly regulated because I'm not doing therapy. The coaching has not been determined something that requires that level of oversight to this point. And I understand when people cross the line and use the term coaching to try to do therapy without all the regulation. I agree. That's bad. I agree with you. But I I think adding regulation because some people do it the wrong way isn't the way to go. You're talking about crossing lines. You're also bringing a nice segue into therapists who cross state lines and just call something a coaching practice. Really, it's a workaround of laws that are in place that are there to protect clients in both locations. I think there's two pieces to that. I think the first thing is I think that that is a very risky gamble because if you're if you're really just doing coaching that is the same as your therapy and you're doing it across state lines and just calling it coaching, I think that is risky. I think it's something where I have coaching that I can do across state lines and I do it around business and career coaching. So it feels so different and I would not provide therapy across state lines unless I was able to do so based on the the licensing laws. But I think that there's the reason why this workaround is happening is telehealth is becoming more and more of an opportunity for us to impact more people to better match up with clients and the laws are falling behind to make sure that therapists can really have the freedom to practice with the clients who need them. And so granted, I don't know what the answer is there, but I think that there's there are gaps that are being filled, not in the best way. I don't think people should do that. I don't think people should cross state lines and just call it life coaching and hope for the best. I think if they're actually doing life coaching across state lines, they need to make sure they're doing coaching and not therapy. But I think it is a sign of problems with a society that's so connected because you could have the perfect therapist that's in a different state and they can't be your therapist because of the regulations and laws. So I think there's something in the future that's going to happen that makes it easier for us to do services better across state lines. But for now, I think we're stuck with what it is. And I think for the people who try to game that by calling it life coaching, yeah, I'm not really cool with that either. Well, one thing that I do like that you brought up a little bit earlier is holding the line. And I obviously have a lot of respect with you in order to <laughs> keep coming back to you and working on projects together. So yes. I, I, I do very much respect you, but you talk about kind of this line that you hold. And I don't know that all therapists slash coaches are really holding it, but the dual relationships that can develop in either taking on a coaching client as a therapy client or vice versa which I would really not recommend of going from Mm -hmm. a therapy client into a coaching client. Yes. And I think that's something that oftentimes people consult with me specifically about because I think I've actually figured out how to to navigate that. It's tricky (laughs) because sometimes if somebody calls you and they really should be a therapy client and they've called for coaching or vice versa, it can be tough. But I really draw a very strong line And make sure that when somebody signs up, they understand if you're my therapy client, you're never going to be my coaching client. And even more than that, you're my therapy client. You can't come to my 
events. I mean, this is something where it's, once you're my therapy client, you're in this bubble. (laughs) And as a coaching client, I can't do therapy with you. And if we start getting into stuff or you start bringing stuff up to me as therapy, I will refer you out for therapy and we can continue coaching. And if you want me to collaborate with your therapist, I can, but there is a very stark line that I'm drawing and I'm making sure it's very clear. I think it's because my therapy and coaching practices are pretty darn different But I certainly have therapy clients who talk with me about the stresses of their work and being an entrepreneur. And I certainly have coaching clients who talk to me about stuff that happened to them when they were kids that get in the way of them feeling confident. I won't process it with my coaching clients. So you're you're standing there being like, maybe you should go talk to a therapist about that. Yes. I'll say, you know, if this is what you're coming up against, I think that therapy would be a good option. Now, if my therapy client says, I'm really struggling with this at work and I don't know what to do, I may provide a coaching intervention talking about some skills in communication or time management that they can bring into the office, but it remains within the therapeutic relationship. If you think about with a therapy client, would you step across into, let me go look at your pantry to make sure you're eating properly and buying the right foods? Would you do that? Because I don't, because you work with eating disorders, but I know there's a lot of nutrition coaches that will go shopping with their clients. Is that something that you do? I don't know that I would take that step. That would be something that I would recommend that a dietitian on a treatment team would do. That's mm-hmm. more in that realm of the treatment team. Mm-hmm. But another area of my practice for a very long time has been working with clients on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. And something that I may do is go with them into the community to help them practice some of the social skills and the anxieties around social skills to see how they're actually implementing that in a more generalized way. Mm -hmm. So I think that my struggle with this is that there's a potential theoretical basis for a very practical, quote unquote, coaching relationship within a therapeutic relationship, but not the other way around. And that, that blurred line coming from coaching back into therapy is a very confusing thing for clients and for the public. And why there is regulatory bodies is for the consumer protection. Mm -hmm. You know, I keep bringing up these very directive, goal-oriented treatment theories, CBT or DBT or solution-oriented, that are based around some very behavioral aspects that therapists are trained to do. I see that. And I think in how you just described it, I think it explains it in a way that I think could potentially be helpful for you is that therapy has the therapeutic aspects that are unique to therapy, which is the being able to really deeply process something to really fully understand the context, the emotional ramifications to go into those really vulnerable spaces in addition to doing practical solution-focused steps. But it has the capacity to hold that because of how the relationship's set up. Coaching doesn't have the space. And when I've seen coaches cross the line and do something that's more therapy, obviously they don't do it well and they potentially open up wounds that they can't address. And so for me, I feel like there's a very strong line and I do know that people are crossing it. So I'm not saying that it's great, but I think the coaching is really so practical. And yeah, you need to know some context, but it stays somewhat less vulnerable for the participant. It stays a little bit more action-oriented. And so in some ways, when there's somebody that's coming in with something big, 
I really direct them towards therapy because I feel like it has the space for more intervention. And if somebody's coming in and really wants support on developing relationships, you know, in the community or wants to really develop their business, I really go towards consulting or coaching because I feel like then there's that space to have that relationship that has a lot of different layers. And so I think it really is about identifying what somebody needs and identifying a way to do it. Now, I know your problem is because there's not regulation around it, that people can be all willy-nilly and it's Wild West and that kind of stuff. But I think when somebody practices it legally and ethically, like I hope that I've convinced you what that I'm legal, doing. What legal though? What legal? There's no law around it. Well, I think it's the laws are around. Like if somebody's a therapist and a coach, there are laws around it. You know, there are laws about what I can do. <laughs> outside of being a therapist. Like I need to make sure that if I've not engaged somebody in a therapeutic relationship that I'm not assessing or treating, that I'm not doing therapy. And for me, there's laws around my coaching, making sure that I'm not doing therapy. Okay, so so those, are, those are your therapy laws. What about these unlicensed coaches? Well, the unlicensed coaches, I, I may be more similar in opinion to you. I think the folks who have taken the time to do some training, even though there's not regulation around it, I'm sure the International Coaching Foundation would love to make sure that it was so that they could certify everyone. But I think folks who have taken the time to really dig into that, truly understand the limitations of what being a coach is and truly understand the skill sets required and not just like, hey, I survived something, so I'm going to teach other people how to deal with it. I think if people are being conscientious, I think it, it's fine. Now, if they're not, if they're really not able to hold the boundaries, then I agree. I think the difficulty with how unregulated that is does start to rankle for me. It does start to move into that area of maybe we do need to have some more oversight for these folks rather than just relying on the safety nets that are in place for all service businesses. But I think it's that piece of when someone has taken the time to be thoughtful is a person who holds good boundaries, I think it can be very good. But you know, maybe we do need regulation on it, but I feel like it can hinder creativity and growth if we get too focused on hyper-regulation. So for people who are both licensed or licensed track and coaches. Mm -hmm. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. You said that you have a separation of businesses, separate bank accounts. Yes. Separate phone numbers. I don't. Okay. So if I'm a lawsuit happy lawyer who's struggling with you, how do I really separate out that those are two separate businesses? I think that that one, from a marketing perspective, from a perspective of efficient business practices, from all those things, I think it is something where I've continued to struggle with that. I would love to have two separate phone numbers, but the way that my phone system is set up, it's just really hard. I would love to make sure that people are clearly defining who I am and what I'm doing in each situation. And if from a marketing perspective, it gets really hard. I have my main website for my coaching practice, and it's actually coaching and consulting, is evolved to thriveconsulting.com. So that one is very separate. There's nothing about therapy on that website. And if somebody goes straight there, it's very clear. On the katievernoy.com website... <laughs> 
it has everything on it. And then there's a separate side tab that goes to therapy to clearly explain my therapy practice. So I can understand that people could be confused. Am I interacting with Katie, the therapist, Katie, the coach? And if they're calling the same number and how I navigate through that is somebody's coming to me and saying, I need help. It's my responsibility to say, okay, what type of help do you need? What are you seeking? And do I have a way to do that? And if I do, then I want to set up a contract with you, whether it's a consent for treatment or a consulting contract that clearly delineates from this point forward, this is what we will be doing. And I revisit it. I make sure that if somebody starts really getting into more of a consulting or coaching framework and therapy, I might say, okay, we're getting a little bit off track. Let's get back to therapy. Or if somebody in the coaching frame says, well, I really want to process this trauma that I had as a kid, I'll say, I have to remind you, I'm not your therapist and we can't do that. So it's up to me to continue to communicate that. And I do have separate contracts. I have separate liability insurance for each of those businesses. And people are paying separately to those different businesses. Yes, the avenues of communication are a little bit combined, but I think it's that piece of how do we effectively market ourselves? How do we effectively run our businesses without saying, hi, I'm Katie. I have a podcast. I have a therapy reimagined thing. I have this. I have that. I have this. Like It becomes almost impossible at certain points to completely distinguish everything. And so for me, the way I do that is with signed legal contract and consistent communication. I'm really impressed that you've managed to advertise almost all of your businesses here. Is there anything that you're leaving out that you want to add in? <laughs> So I have had the fortune of at least the clients that I've worked with who've had coaches, that they have in fact been good coaches. People who have respected the boundaries between the two businesses, between the two underlying ideologies. But I'm hearing really bad stories from some of my clients who have coaches that aren't willing to work with me, who mm. are damaging clients. A client that I've worked with somewhat recently had a coach tell him that he was not cut out to be in the business that he was in. These seem to be very damaging things that are being sold as this is the way to go forward, but people are operating with impunity as to the things that they say and do. What's the recourse here? That's a really good question because I think if someone is experiencing something that's unhelpful, whether it's because I'm a bad therapist or a bad coach, obviously if I'm being a bad therapist, I'm saying stuff that's hurting you, you do have recourse with the Board of behavioral sciences, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm acting outside of your best interest as a coach or a consultant, you can sue me for breach of contract. You can sue me for a lot of things. I'm not an attorney, so I don't know exactly, but that's why I have liability insurance for errors and omissions, because I know that if I'm helping people to grow their businesses or if I'm helping people get jobs, that if they don't do those things, they might blame me and want to sue me for loss of income, loss of opportunity, like whatever. And so I think it's something where there's always some sort of recourse. And the most obvious recourse is stop paying for those services. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand that you're concerned because I think there are a lot of people who will get involved in a coaching relationship and kind of stick. But if they're also in therapy with you, there's an opportunity for you to talk about how they're choosing relationships and how they're deciding who they take advice from and those kinds of things. And I think it's something where, you know, yes, there's not a regulatory body, but there are a lot of ways that people can step away from coaches. It's just, are they going to? It might be some of the vulnerability that clients come in that I fear that coaches prey on, that mm. they're 
looking at this as I'm going to sell you this package of coaching sessions. I'm going to charge you up front for it. And if you don't utilize it all, that's on you. Mm -hmm. Where these are people coming from maybe an emotionally weaker standpoint, which is outside of the coaching realm, that in therapy, we have laws, we have ethics about you don't have kind of that trust situation, that funding source of a pool that you just kind of pull money out of until it's gone. And then you have a client really refill it up every so often, or Mm -hmm. once it's out, it's out. This is again, where I still am very, very hesitant. And I do respect a lot of coaches and a lot of therapists slash coaches who are able to really delineate between the two. But I fear that without some of this regulation, that this really does put clients and the therapist slash coaches at a lot more risk if they're not able to do this. What do you think the solution is? It needs to have a clear delineation between the two. And until there is more regulation surrounding the coaching practice, we really need to, as licensed professionals defending the areas of expertise and the areas of training that we've served under, to pressure our licensing boards to go after and pursue and prosecute coaches who are violating those boundaries in illegal and unethical ways. I see that. I think that's something where I know at least our board is pretty overworked and underwater a lot of times. And so going after people who are not their licensees or not their registrants may be something that they're not able to take on. But I think it could be a way to protect their licensees and registrants by making sure that they're protecting the field to protecting what is the scope of practice of the therapist. So I do see that as a positive thing is that if somebody's practicing without a license, the licensing board could come after them. I guess I don't know how likely it is and how often it would actually have a fruitful outcome. And so maybe I'm just feeling a little hopeless on that solution, but I think I think it is a good solution if we could actually make it have teeth. I do honestly respect those coaches who do hold those boundaries. And despite my negativity that might be coming across <laughs> in this episode, I do recognize that there are a lot of coaches who are very good at what they do. But I do really look at questionable ones that still provides a, a huge hesitation for me. I appreciate that you respect those of us who are, who are holding the line. And I I think that you've not necessarily identified that you actually do the same thing. Uh, You, I wouldn't necessarily call you a coach, but you do consult on supervision, which is not therapy. And so you have a separate part of your business that is interacting and charging people for a service that's not therapy. So I think you know that you can do that as well. I think the arguments that you've made about regulation and protecting consumers, I take that in and I agree with a lot of those points. What I'm hoping that people get out of the conversation that we've had today is that we can't really paint all coaches, all people who are therapists who choose to be coaches with the same brush. We need to make sure that we're identifying the ways that those of us who've chosen that road, who choose to be a therapist and a consultant or a therapist and a coach or some combination, that we really make sure that we're being very clear on which role we're playing, that we put as many safeguards in place so our consumers are protected, and that when we interact with coaches who are not doing well, (laughs) that either we call them on it, we make sure that if there is something that we can bring to our board about practicing without a license, that we potentially pursue that. But I think that it's something where there's more here to develop, there's more here to understand Potentially, there's laws and kind of regulations that need to come into place 
But until then, (laughs) we need to make sure that we're doing what we can to protect our clients, our consumers, so that people can continue to get well. Because that's at the end of the day, right, Kurt? We just want people to have better lives, to function better. And so at the end of the day, we just want people to get well. I think that we can come to agreement on that. Please check out our show notes. They're available on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. Check out our social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and join us in our Facebook community. If you are a therapist or a coach or a healing arts practitioner, uh, <laughs> you'll let a, them in. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you all in as long as you can show that you are a therapist or some sort of healing arts person. And while you're on our website, check out our conferences and workshops. We have a couple of live events coming up in the Los Angeles area here in 2018, including a six-hour law and ethics workshop on building the brand of you. This is a legal and ethical CEU workshop, so that way you can earn law and ethics CEUs that are required by the licensing board. So until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months.